Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with Tim and Jacko. Answering your calisthenics questions, helping you to redefine your impossible. If you want more great content from us, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we've got a great YouTube channel where you can get in touch with us and ask your questions there. Let's get into these questions now. This week, guys, we've got a special edition for you. We got invited onto the Ben Kuma Radio podcast where we talked all things training, integrating calisthenics into a well-rounded program and lots of other things. Oh, didn't we have some fun, Tim? We had a few giggles when we with Ben, didn't we? But no, seriously, it was, a, it was great to, to be on the podcast. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, we actually popped Ben's three-way live podcast yes. cherry yeah so we like to do firsts yeah um, i think all like a lot of time people do these things just by um skype and whatnot and i'm sure at some point we'll probably do that as, as well ourselves but we thought we'd make a trip down to him it was six hours in the car well worth it wasn't it tim but we have a great time in the car <laughs> uh, but anyway less about us let's get into uh this is our podcast that we did on ben kuma radio hope you enjoy Hey everyone, Ben Kuma Radio, episode number 289. Now, this is the podcast's first ever three-way. Ooh. Who's with me on the three-way? Tim, David, School of Calisthenics, hello. Thanks for having us. I'm excited that this is a first. In 289 episodes, to be a first, I feel, is, is a... It's a seminal moment for you. <laughs> Joe, I think it's nice that you said that because a lot of people, when I contact them and we start recording the show, and I say, they say to me, God, it's taken you 280 episodes to get me on the show. I'm like, all right, all right, lay off it. Be, just be happy you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, boys, before we go into your background, let's dive straight in at the jugular. What on earth is calisthenics? I was going to say, you passed the first test and you said it correctly. But a lot of time people get into that middle section with the S and the TH and they stutter around it. I've been to the, school, the I did English. <laughs> Most people out, yeah, but still we struggle with that. Calisthenetics is often a, is a common one and other various forms of, of mispronunciation. So what is it? It means beauty and strength. It comes from the two, words of, two Greek words of Does it really mean stem. that? Or Cal- did you yeah. no. make that up? Beauty in strength. Beauty and, and strength. strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's effectively, we, we, we refer to it as, as um, exploring your physical potential through bodyweight training. So it's bodyweight mastery and that, that extends itself into things like handstands, human flags, muscle-ups, but it's all built around the basics of pull-ups, dips, push-ups. Um, and then the lower body things are pistol squats and, and shrimp squats. So I'm using minimal amount of equipment to do some pretty awesome stuff. Sweet. Okay, so let's take this podcast on a little bit of a journey. What are your backgrounds? What got you to where you are now? What was the evolution into calisthenics? Because I'm sure before you got into calisthenics, there was a wide, wide background of training, um, sport, etc. Yeah, so I've been a, a professional strength and conditioning coach for about last 10 years, um, rugby player before that. I actually stopped playing rugby um, because I had multiple shoulder dislocations, two reconstructions, and I've done all the physio stuff in the book. And um, I just got tired of having a shoulder that wasn't attached to my body um, and the, the rehab that goes along with it. 
So I stopped playing rugby and was, was moving to do more, more strength and conditioning work, specialising in Paralympic sport. And I was actually on holiday. My wife's South African and they've got a great spot down by the sea near Cape Town. And I was like, I don't want to go to the gym in town. I'm going to give this calisthenics a go. Should be pretty good at it. Light frame, decent strength to weight ratio. And um, I decided I'm going to learn to handstand. Because if I can do that, it's mm -hmm. actually going to tell me that I've got a stable shoulder. And then the thing about calisthenics when people start is it's just addictive because the rate of progression is so quick. Your skill yep. acquisition is a large part of it. So you go from like literally from a train on a Monday, do something on a Wednesday you couldn't do two days ago. Mm. And when you've been in the gym, like playing rugby and, and working as a professional SNC coach, like you've done all the, the hypertrophy stuff, you've done the strength trainer, tried power trainer, trained endurance, you're using all those different things to educate yourself around how to train athletes. And sticking an extra two and a half kilos on a, on a bar sometimes is a, it can take a long time. And I just got, I got addicted by the rate of progression and, and that feeling of I'm learning to move in new ways. I'm becoming a better athlete because mm -hmm. I've got all these new movement options and things that I can play around with. And the central thing that we talk around is it's, we got back to the basics of play. Like learn to handstand. Like you, you have to be able to laugh at yourself because you're going to fail over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And off the back of that kind of idea, we, we coined our strap line as redefine your impossible because we're literally, there'll be something you try and do on day one, like a planche. And the first time I tried that, I said to Jacko, look, I've got nothing in there. Mm -hmm. I've got I have no way I'm doing that. But after a bit of time and breaking it down, all of a sudden you do something and there'll be a little bit of a glimmer and you go, do you know what? I like I'm not a million miles away from doing that. And then when you've done it, that changes the way that you see anything else in training and, and it spans into other areas of life and career and that sort of stuff as well. But it's, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the story. And we launched the School of Calisthenics in January 2016. And I've been trying to just share that message and the enjoyment that comes with it with as many people as we can. For sure. Um, let me pick up on a train of thought because I'm doing an S&C course at the moment. So it's kind of fresh in my head and I'm, I'm developing quite an interest in it. And there's a lot of old school ways of doing S&C. When we think about the gym and optimal performance, we think of squat, deadlift, uh, power cleans. There's all these traditional movements in S&C. Then there's a conditioning side of it. That's great. Now, one of the things that my S&C tutor keeps uh, sort of impressing on me as we go through the course is, I don't care what you do with an athlete, but you've got to justify it. Yeah. If I come to you and say, you're going to do this movement, why are you going to do it? What's it going to improve? Are you testing against that movement? Now, I'm interested. You've probably had a fair few conversations with S&C peers. Let's say, I don't know, you've got a premiership rugby club S&C coach and he's training a player in a certain way. Now, you guys are a massive fan of calisthenics. How do you sort of get them to come around to your way of thinking and going, oh, I get what you're doing in the gym there. But actually, if we add this and do this... I, th I think we can improve things because what you're doing is not really traditional. So there might not be as much research behind it. How do you breach that conversation? I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's interesting because we were at the UK Strength and Condition Association conference um, this year. And there's a lot of people seeing what we're doing and talking to us about it. And it's, I think you've got to put it in context. Like I'm not a rugby player anymore. Jacko was a, was a professional player. Like we're not trading for the outcome of the sports performance anymore. So that gives us a bit more freedom in terms of how we spend our time and what we choose to do with it. But we do think there's a big benefit from a sports performance perspective of having this form of training in, especially around shoulder health. So I would still say from that perspective, if you want to get strong, explosive lower body, squat, deadlift, power clean, whatever it is, yep. go down that traditional route, stick to what we know. You're not going to get the strongest legs if you're going to go and play premiership rugby by doing a single leg squat, yep. although it does have a part in a progressive approach to training. Um, whereas we go to the shoulder, well, this is some of the stuff that we're talking a lot around. Like we do a lot of work in swimming, so if we're going to, we test grip strength as a sign of, of shoulder health. 
grip strength is, is scientifically proven to, to give us some indication of external rotator cuff health. So if we're, when we're doing grip strength, we're getting some response from the rotator cuff. So when we're hanging, we're also doing grip, maximum grip type work, which is going to start to enhance the robustness of the shoulder. And then we can start to throw in things around scapular retraction and, and um, retractor strength, integration with the catech chain, shoulder works better if it's sat on top of a stable base on the hip. So we start going then actually, well, you can military press 120 kilos, but what do you like at hand balancing? Mm. Because to hand balance, you need stability and strength at the same time. You need to connect the chain together so you've, you've got the, the, the whole system working as one. So you start, it's just starting to change the way that, that people are, are looking at it. And I think traditionally people in SNC have gone with body weight, that's what you do when you're a beginner. Yeah. Our argument to that is actually you just don't know or you haven't invested time to understand how you can progressively make body weight training more difficult because some of the hardest things that I've ever done are in calisthenics. There's things I still can't do now. I'm not being flippant, but like you can, you can, you can scale down a squat movement easily. You just put mm -hmm. less weight on the bar, you adjust it in a number of different ways. Trying to scale down something like a front lever or a, or a planche or a, a human flag, there's a, there's, there's a lot more components. But my thought around now, having, having worked in a lot of, uh, done a lot of sports over the years, is around just understanding how we then start to connect training to be more of a total body um, si like situation as opposed to going, this is now a shoulder session. There's a mm -hmm. place for that. Yep. But if we're going to go and produce high amounts of tension and we start thinking about fascial chains and that sort of stuff on a rugby pitch, if you want to produce a huge amount of force in the shoulder and have a robust shoulder that's scaled with strength, we need to take how we understand shoulder robustness to the next level. Just doing a few cable scaptions in a, a theraband exercise at the beginning of a session, is that scaled in line with where your bench press is going? Yep. Probably not. So that's yeah. how we kind of see it. So a lot of the conversations that you're having with you know, S&C type people, are, are they positive? Are people being receptive to your theories and thoughts around this, these styles of training? Yeah, one of the amazing things that people that, we, that we're speaking to is I keep getting told, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a testament to this. Since I started calisthenics, I've had no shoulder problems. Yep. And I used to dislocate arm overhead, externally rotated, that was my position. Same position as I'm in a human flag. Yep. But now I'm putting a huge amount of tension through that joint, or talk to that joint. But people, other people who have been in the industry for a while, good coaches are saying to me like, when I do calisthenics, my shoulders get better. When I stop, they get worse. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well that's N of one or two, but the case studies, and it's, I think people are starting to see the value of actually how do we build some of this stuff in. I will never say that it should substitute, but it, you're looking at, like you say, justify the reason why exercises in a program, and Dave and I have always mm -hmm. done that and gone, actually, if you look at one of my training programs, I should be able to tell you why every single one of those exercises is For there sure. and how it fits into the plan. Yeah. So it might be that if we can do one exercise, which gives us two ticks, so we might include some calisthenics because we get some shoulder robustness and it makes us work, let's call it core for now, for, mm -hmm. for simplicity. Um, well, that's one exercise, two ticks. That saves time on my training program. Depends what you want as a result of it. Yeah, sure. I think some of it's around, like a lot of the calisthenics stuff we do, if we take in like a handstand or a flag, or if we take a handstand example, um, a lot, so much of that is based strength-wise, based around the shoulder yep. and the shoulder in itself being such a complex joint with your shoulder blade moving around your rib cage and you've got your arm as part of, or the head of the humerus as part of that. That it's it's got so much movement in it that that stability is a real big problem a lot of the time for us. Mm -hmm. And some of the hand balancing stuff there, you're getting the proprioception from balancing on your hands that you're not getting in. You get, a, you get a little bit of that if you're doing like dumbbell bench press rather than with a bar, for example, but the, there's such a bigger carryover we're noticing with 
almost like training that upper body in a closed chain position where your hands on the floor yep. and you've got some compression of the joint through that as well and you're you're actually building up the stability around the joint that you can then add the strength on on top of that all the time rather than just hammering the strength and not mm-hmm. having as much stability in a joint that's actually inevitably unstable because it's got so much movement in it. Mm-hmm. So some of the athletes we've got like swimming wise like shoulders massive and then any of the throwers anyone where they're going overhead like in any overhead sports or positions um, like some of the uh, discus, shot put, that sort of stuff, um, it's massively important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, if you look at some of the some of the world's greatest athletes, like, say, some of the, uh, the throwers, particularly, like, say, you look at some of the guys in, in, in elite weightlifting, like, they're huge guys, and they'll be super mobile, like, moving really, really well, but they'll be they'll be have gymnastics training as part of, of what they're doing, and, and Dave Coyne talks about calisthenics as being poor man's gymnastics, because we don't go to the degree that they want to go with the performance and the, the true down to the minute details. Less lycra. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but that fits in with when you've got a guy who weighs 120 kilos actually doing some stuff on the rings or, or just going, what, is, what does hand balancing do for your overhead press if you're increasing joint stability? Mm. We know there's benefits of, of that, the relationship between stability and force output. Yeah. We just don't always apply those particularly effectively to the shoulder. We're great with it in hip, knee, ankle stability. Um, so it's an, it's an exciting time because you're right in that there is very little research we've done a lit review and there's not a lot out there we're starting mm. to embark on that, that journey with, with conducting some of our own research to, to, to get a, a better understanding of what's going on but sure. Dave sent me a, a, an article last week about from the European Association of, of Physiotherapists something named like that um, and now these are all the problems that we've from, from a research uh, perspective of why people have shoulder problems and I was like well calisthenics is going to have some role in sort of all those, even from straight stand anterior activation to range of movement to um, retractor strength and mid-load trapezius, we, we get all of that because we're training in a way which is a maybe more complete way to train the shoulder as yep. opposed to just sticking a heavy weight in it and trying to press it. Calisthenics has got a very uh, interesting way. If you sometimes you we have another phrase we use: earn the right to progress. You yeah. literally can't move forwards until you've nailed some of that down. Yeah. Um, whereas you can always put more weight on a bar and just do it worse. For sure. It's a similar train of thought to, um, I'm a big fan of Andy McKenzie's movement work, Um, really like how he approaches training and, you know, he says to me with body weight, I'm like, you know, if someone can't press up properly, you can't go to a bench press and press the bar off the bench. Yeah, you can maybe add more weight, but how are you moving that weight what muscles are working, is the back stabilizing that joint effectively? And we can take a dumbbell in hand and push it over our head, or we can take our body and try and push it in reverse in a handstand. Yeah. Now what's having to work? And the way I look at it, and this is why I also like to talk to people about having a baseline level of cardiovascular fitness, because I think that's really overlooked now in fitness now. Like no one can really like if I go, oh we're just gonna run up the road, people freak out. They're like, whoa, I haven't <laughs> run in like nine years my version of running is doing a squat for 20 reps i'm like that to me that 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 joke is no longer funny like Mm. for me a cardiovascular base of fitness is important so i always raise the question to people what do you want to do with your body yeah what do you want your body to do how do you want it to look and then i say to people right you know when you watch those youtube videos and people are doing mad shit like back flips and you know handstand push-ups which is a very simple uh, advancement of something shoulder related if you want to do that shit then go and play with something like calisthenics mm. go and join a local gymnastics club go and yeah. do something rather than back and chest on a tuesday legs on a thursday yeah for me that's how i look at it yeah i think one of the one of the things that we've tried to push 
because we've experienced it ourselves and Tim touched on it when he's talking about redefining impossible, trying something that feels impossible then doing it. It also gives us that outcome of like, if someone sees a back from the other one, they go and learn and do that or a handstand, even holding it or even a handstand push-up, that you go, train to do train to do that thing and you've got an outcome, you're going to know when you've done it and you can mm. tick that off and more getting comfortable with, I'm going to train hard to do that and my shoulders might get a bit stronger and a bit better because of that. But the way they ultimately look in the end is going to be come down to a number of factors, some of which are outside of your control yeah. in terms of your genetics and that, and actually just being a bit more comfortable with my body's going to look how it looks and I'm going to, but I'm going to be able to train it to do these things. Um, I know personally that's uh, much more positive in my mindset rather than looking in the mirror and, st- and getting a bit funny because that shoulder's a bit funny compared to that one when mm-hmm. I've smash this one up playing rugby mm-hmm. um, and I just think that's a, that that for us has been quite a positive thing around rather than getting bogged down in necessarily how I look compared to what can my body actually do mm. um, I think because you know it feels if we, cool if, when you do something yeah, yeah, yeah. That you've never done before but if I let's say I scroll through Instagram and I see one of your posts and I'm like okay they're doing this flag thing and they're doing this handstand thing I don't really want to go in the gym and just do a handstand press up like to me that's not a workout so for me you know i've positioned it to people before i'm like let's say you go into the gym and you do military press how about we swap that for a handstand push-up now don't get me wrong there's going to be a skill acquisition process there so you're gonna have to spend some time learning but you could go and do a a shoulder session in the gym by doing a handstand push-up as your primary exercise you've worked more on the muscles and then if you want you can go and train the delts in different ways and maybe do some accessory back work maybe some planche holds and stuff like that you're still doing it it's just different yeah yeah yeah. and if potentially better yeah i think for the shoulder like my my personal uh, perspective having like and I'm, i'm coming from a place where i've done a lot of different types of training and it's um, I think you're right in that it's the, the different ways and we still break sessions down so we'll do what's the focus that is a push session or it's a pull session or it's a total body session we still break those down and we still have horizontal and vertical pushing and pulling mm-hmm. um, and it just depends on, on what we, we normally have like a major movement goal that we're working towards and then within that so we'll focus some time on that um, and then we'll have some time where we're then going we call it capacity strength we've got a framework which helps people guide them through a process of learning something new but our capacity strength is just basic numbers, just handstand push-ups, pull-ups, dips. Because like with a lot of things, there's, there's no substitute for the strength in calisthenics. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get caught up in the skill acquisition because it's a sexy part of it. It's really, you feel like you're doing something cool. But so many people come to us and they're like, why can't I do this next progression? It's because you're not strong enough. So it's sure. still making sure that you're prioritizing strength. We just choose to leverage the body in different ways to make it more difficult as opposed to picking up weights but I, when I first started I was I was worried about that physique side of things I was going to go what's going to happen if I'm not lifting yeah weights? for sure so I, I said to myself and I'd be like, the same I don't yeah. want to lose my gains man exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said to myself look I know enough about training that if it goes I can get it back yeah so I, I said I'm going to give myself three months and I'm going to see what happens and, and part of my rationale in the back of my head was no one ever looks at a gymnast and goes terrible rig like they look yeah. good, but they're not doing bench press. They look awesome. They don't yeah. lift any weight. But yeah. it's perfect. Any... It's a well-balanced, symmetrical physique, and it does some cool stuff. Why yeah. would we not want to aspire towards that? And it doesn't mean we have to go and sign up at our local gymnastics club. That's accessible to people in the gym. But I, I like what you said about, I don't want to go in the gym and do that because it's not a workout. When we first started, we were rubbish. Like bear in mind that Jacko played professional rugby for 14 years, and I kind of like dragged him into calisthenics with me. I was like, I've been playing around this stuff, let's have a go. And then you kind of, got bitten by the book but we were terrible like we with no gymnastics background we literally couldn't do anything 
And people would come up to us in the gym, we tell this story a lot, but they would say, what are you boys doing when you're in the gym? Because it just looks like you're pissing about. And like, <laughs> that is exactly what we're doing. And, and, we're can know, fun, and there was no one else was doing it. We were just like next to a machine doing something that someone else is doing leg press, and yeah. he's trying to yeah, do a handstand next to him. Like, yeah. There wasn't space even really picking in the gym for it. We people would get really like in our gym. It was it was okay. You'd be into to where we train, and, and people were were alright with it. But if, I could imagine in other gyms that people might find it a bit weird. Yeah. We literally go in there and we didn't care. Because we were like, Dave was like, can you, can you handstand on that? And there was one time we tried to do a human flag off the leg press. <laughs> and it was almost that thing of like, I don't, I'm just going to break the rules of training and gym etiquette for a while because I just want to have some fun. Yeah. Because like, well, tell me yeah. like, Ben, about when you finished Yeah, well, so, like, I, like Tim was saying, I used to play, play rugby, play for every team at Nottingham apart from the women's. Um, so, so I had a background. You the hair of, for it. <laughs> now, yeah, this <laughs> used to be better. Um, He's been giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so um, I started, I, I had to retire from, from an injury and needed a, needed a job after rugby. Unfortunately, they don't pay you like a footballer, so you've got to get a job afterwards. And that's where I met Tim and got into, got into the S&C side of things with him. But at the same time, he was exploring um, doing, doing some handstand work and, and getting into calisthenics. And I was, um, once I was able to get over my, my, my injury, I wanted to be able to get back in the gym because I loved training and always loved it. It was like, when I finished playing rugby, all I'm going to do is just fucking hammer the gym. Like mm-hmm. that was what I knew I was wanting to do. So I didn't train for about six months properly. But when I could, back in, doing weights, I remember being your favourite exercise, bicep curls, stood in front of the mirror, <laughs> doing bicep curls like hey. a bit uni. <laughs> and, I, and I remember, I literally looked at myself and I was like, what are you doing? Like, isn't there, like, isn't there something more exciting that you could do? And and I was sort of thinking, well, what else have I done today? And I was like, I did upright row and I'd done, I'd done a load of exercises and I went, that's exactly what you used to do when your coach was stood there telling you what to do. Yeah. It was like, now you can do anything. And so I was like, okay. And I was a bit, I carried on doing bench press because I didn't want to lose my, obviously I've got a massive chest. <laughs> <laughs> and someone, I've been once really cool, my nickname was often Pancake Tits is what I've been called <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I was worried about losing that size as well, and just sort of not understand. You know, like you understand resistance is resistance. So it doesn't matter if it's my body weight or weights. But something in your head sometimes goes, yeah. But you need to keep doing the weights, otherwise you're going to get yeah, you get small. But um, it, I was, I wanted to then sort of saw Tim messing about, and I was like, yeah, well, I've had this, gone through this thing of like, sure, I could do something a bit more exciting. So he's trying to do some. He'd been away. He'd got back from South Africa, so he had a bit of a head start on me. And so I see him doing, you know, the frog stand where you we got your that knees and your elbows. That was an excuse. So yeah. Like, hey, yeah, but <laughs> and two weeks have made a lot of difference. <laughs> well, it did because so I see him and I'm like, oh, I'm strong and I've done rugby and all this stuff. So I go down, hands down on the floor, put your elbow, put your knees on your elbows, and then bang, just face just smashed around to the floor. Yeah, and it was a humbling experience. But that was that was the start of that feels impossible. Yeah, and then over many weeks and months and lots of failing along along that way falling down and getting back up again we actually then you get to a point where you're like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm balancing on my hands yeah, yeah. and it looks horrible and crooked all over the place be like a hand stand me standing on my hands I did it like, yeah, yeah. and then from there I can start to then um, you know refine your technique and all that sort of stuff but yeah. when you balance on your hands for the first time a second literally feels like a lifetime mm. um, and that just sort of caught the that just caught the bug see this is where I think I dislike how 
bodybuilding has shaped some of the ways people think about training because you know I remember when I was at uni you know Monday was you know chest and back and then and I trained like that and then if you would come along and said why don't we do some calisthenics I'm like but when do you do it (laughs) yeah like because if I'm doing that on Monday and that on Tuesday well when do you do it and people have got into this mindset that a week has to be a certain way in fitness and you know, if we talk about hybrid training now and mi- just mixing things yeah, up, yeah. there's no reason why on a Monday you can't do your normal leg session and then on Tuesday you do a load of upper body calisthenics and then yeah. on Wednesday you go for a run and then yeah. on Thursday you hopefully maybe have a rest or something and then on Friday you're back to doing some upper body calisthenics with some with some other stuff and then maybe you, you do some conditioning and then on Saturday you just do what you want. You just go in and you do some bicep curls yeah. if you want to. You go for mm-hmm. a swim, you just do it. And people are almost, for me, a little bit scared to do that because yeah. we've been into this, we've got into this pattern of training that kind of got shaped by bodybuilding a bit too much. Yeah. I think some of it as well, we also we, we love as humans to give ourselves labels. So it's like, I train calisthenics now, or yeah. I do this or I do that. And rather than, for some people, they'll, if they get involved, and we've got a free beginner's guide that we, we've got on our site and we can link to that to help people get started. But when you, when people get have a bit of a play around with it some people will go okay i can see how this is going to fit into part of my shoulder session and it's just going to be part of my yep. stuff that i do other people will just dab in and out of it and then some people will, will sort of get to where we got where you get caught by that bug and mm-hmm. and then it's like well this is all i'm gonna do but there's there's rationale and reason you're talking about why things why why do you do things in a program there's yep. rationale and reason to go you can go either way you can go i'm going to only do this because i want to work on these things or it makes up a bit of my a bit of my training program a bit of my training week um, I mean, people have got con- there's some confusion around uh, how to structure that week. we get questions all the time people going what's your training week look like how do i structure it what do i need to do and we always go back and go well it depends what do you want like, do you want do you want an all round base of fitness, or do you want to be the biggest dude in the gym? Because they're going to require different training weeks. So start with what you want, and then work backwards from there. And I, I think you're right in that it's bodybuilding. Like even the research that's come out now around maximizing like muscle hypertrophy. You're like, well, actually maybe a split routine isn't the best yep. way. Maybe we should be just doing total body yep. because all we're trying to do is elevate protein synthesis. For longer periods of time, more regularly, and it's six days in between chest sessions, the best way to do that. So the, I think that's going to come through, but it's people are often looking for the perfect pill, and I think part of the issue is people want everything. Another thing which makes it difficult, unless you're a professional athlete, you've got a lot of other stuff to, to throw into the mix. I've got a little boy at home, I've got a business to run, I've got all these other commitments. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't get to train five times a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might do one session a week, and that's mm-hmm. just what my life's like. But if I beat myself up about that, that's only going to send my mental health in one direction and For sure. stress on everything yeah. else. So it's something that one of the major reasons why I, I'm, I only train upper body weight-based session like barbells or dumbbells for, for three and a half years now. Uh, so if I'd still do some stuff lower body, but everything else upper body will be calisthenics, body weight-based. But a lot of the way that I see movement now and what I want is what do I want to be able to do when I'm 80? Because I'm not training for a sport anymore. I still want to be able to climb a mountain when I'm 70 years old, hopefully, if, you, if you're kind of blessed with, with health that lasts that long. And I still want to be able to play with my little boy. And I, I just think my focus around, I actually don't care about how big I am, even mm-hmm. though I have these body dysmorphia demons ticking away in the back of my mind. So they're still a part of what I worry about, mm-hmm. but not enough that I'm bothered about doing shoulder day and bicep day and mm-hmm. calf day or whatever it is. It's, 
So it, I think that the fitness industry, I think, is in a really interesting place around that, and that we talk quite a lot around the mental health issues around trading and, and what what people are, you know, like male society particularly, are the sorts of pressures that they're under and the role of social media and fueling a certain amount of that. Mm -hmm. I think with social media now, we get to see literally what everybody does. So we get to see what all the professional athletes and whatnot are doing. And, 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 and rightly so, we go, well, if like, that must, that's probably quite a good, they're good things to do in terms of training. But I've been there as a professional rugby player where we trained and we trained hard and we did lots of stuff and it was all because there was a game on Saturday yep. that we needed to be in a best position and best physique and bestly um, trained for it. Um, and I think I think some of the confusion comes in, they go, well, if you're not, a like some of the questions we get, if you're not a professional athlete, then actually the the goals are a little bit different. And I, I get the thing of like, if you want to look like an athlete, train like an athlete, I get that sort of slogan, that sort of thing. But it's a case of like, if you're not a professional athlete, you have a lot of other constraints around your week your month your year that mean it's going to look a little it should look a little bit different mm -hmm. for you um and I, I just think that's that's quite an important point or message i think to for people to understand that it's okay not to do what a professional sportsman does if you're not actually a professional sportsman you've got a full-time job yeah like it should look different but again that a lot of that pattern and a lot of that exposure has come from more the physique and bodybuilding side of fitness because you know I remember when I was getting into what I'm doing now 2009 10 11 a lot of the information that I was seeing was quite physique quite bodybuilding orientated and these people were living their lives like an athlete Monday was a certain thing Tuesday was a certain mm. thing so you had to kind of fit into that template or not get the results that that person got but I think now we've we've seen a lot more honesty and realism on social media like I say to people sometimes I'm in the gym same one day a week I just try and make it count but I'm at home this week so I'm going to be in the gym probably four days this week and that's cool but I accept that that is what it is and yeah. there's more important things in my life but I still you know there's training quality there. If I'm only going to train one day this week, I'll probably make sure it's full body. I put the graft in. There's something good and strength-based there. Uh, like at the moment, I'm on this S&C course. I'm, I'm learning the snatch, and I'm really enjoying learning the snatch. It's a complex move. Yeah. I feel pretty beat up after half yeah. an hour of you know snatching and stuff. Um, but it all comes down to education. It comes down to, you know, people ask you what's the tr perfect training program. And I'm like, there's not like even coaches are still guessing. Yeah, I'm in yeah, my yeah. S and C course and they're saying, I don't care what you program. I just want you to justify it. Mm, I want you yeah. to see it as getting a positive benefit, stronger, faster, fitter, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think people almost need to trust what they're learning. The amount of people that I've met over the years that have followed my work for three, four, five, six years, and they're still asking the same questions. And I'm like, you know this. Just trust yourself. Have confidence yeah. that you know and that actually there isn't an answer. It's just have a stab and play and see if you get some benefit. Yeah. Which is what we do with athletes a lot of the time. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we often, we do a lot, we've worked in, in, I've worked in Paralympic sport for a long time and Dave joined me in that um, about four years ago. But there is no manual for how to train a double leg amputee or how to train somebody who's an arm amputee or somebody who's got cerebral palsy. So a lot of the time that we do a lot of that anyway, we're sort of, we're testing the water. We've, I've got a theory and a rationale. I've based my program design around that. We're going to get in the gym, we're going to try it and we're going to see what happens. And if it works, we'll do more of it. If it doesn't, we'll change it. But there isn't, even at the, at the elite level, there's no perfect recipe of how we're going to 
get someone to peak on one day in four years' time. It's, it's a constant process of refinement and you're managing. I remember when I first started in SNC, I was, I kind of thought that my area was the most important thing. And an athlete won a gold medal. I was like, that is, I've, had, I've done a lot of that. Like, you kind of give yourself a little bit more like value and weight than is probably what you realize later on in your career. There's a whole lot of stuff going on because I might have delivered a perfect training program, mm -hmm. but if that athlete's got something going on at home or yep. whatever it might, might be, it just throws everything that I do out of the window. Um, and in that situation, we're then just kind of like managing what's possible on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's um, we I was we talk a lot about the um, art and science of training, and that's what it is. There's some scientific principles that we're happy with, and we are largely going to give us. Um, adaptations which we can be fairly confident of for most people mm -hmm. obviously there's some individual variations within that but the art side of how you put that together how you then communicate that as a, as a coach and how you get buy-in from your from your athletes and so that they want to work for you goes much deeper than what exercises you're going to write on a program and take that out of a professional environment and put it into someone's own life it goes back to what we're talking about is sometimes it's just you're just not going to train because you've got other stuff going on mm -hmm. um, and when when you if you're aware of that, like I have this thing now with Jack, my little boy's uh, nine months old. If I get an opportunity to do a session, I'm going to do it mm. because I don't. I might plan to do one, <clears> but there's every chance that it's not going to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then it just it's, it's understanding your situation and, and just adapting with it and making the best of what you can because no one has a perfect training week. Mm -hmm. and it's not an easy thing to to shape, but I think the biggest thing is just getting started and, and just monitoring how mm. you go. Mm. Yeah. something you talk about like what exercises you're choosing to go in that and, and when you the, the stuff that's been really interesting for us and actually um really developed me as a as an snc coach when i started working with tim when you in in the paralympic sport that we when we're working in there because you've got lots of different uh, variables in terms of maybe arms or legs missing or whatever the impairment impairment is we're literally making up exercises because mm. you go i want them to do snatch Mm -hmm. but you ain't got any hands like, <laughs> so I've got to find a different way to get that triple extension if that's yeah. what I'm interested in all that overhead stability um, and so that's like in itself quite cool and you know you try stuff out and sometimes it doesn't work and, but you, you start to form then new, literally new exercises to fit the, the person um, and I think that was one of the things that really helped us when we um, when we started trying to get into I mean I, I wanted to learn the human flag mm. and it was like well, that like it looks impossible, or even Photoshop, and you're like, how does that? How is that even? You look at it, and you go, how is that even happening? Um, and we went. I remember going on YouTube and typing in like how to human flag, like you do, and you don't know how to do something. You Google it or you YouTube yep. it, and it was just a dude in the park. It, it looked like he'd give his phone to his missus and gone, oh, I'll do a tutorial, just video this. And he went, human flag, this way, do it, and just did a flag. And when you went, well, that's not really helped me. Like yeah. I still don't know what yeah, they yeah. haven't like broken this yeah. down at all. So we sort of went we're trying to like reverse engineer the whole movement and go, well, when we're making up exercises for, for an athlete that's missing an arm or leg or whatever, it's like, can we not just apply those principles around training that we know? What are we trying to create in this human flag? And then just break that down into its simplest form and then we just built it back up from there. Um, and I think that's just been... That and that in itself was only for... Because we, we just wanted to learn it for ourselves because we yeah. were trying to find a new sort of interesting way to train and then it only got back almost going back right to the beginning of the story tim said people in the gym were going you blokes just like pissing about <laughs> it, it turned into like well can you teach us how to do that yeah like, well we'll put a workshop on and then and then it just sort of grew from there and the gym went from in the gym and the sales they went well you know that corner of the gym do you want to we'll put some bars in so you can just do all that stuff and like 
we probably better come up with a name for this thing. Shit. <laughs> 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 and it was like, oh, we've got another business. <laughs> so, yeah. so what were you doing then that transitioned into the School of Calisthenics? Right back when we first started. So yeah. we're still running One Athlete, which is our performance sport business. So yeah. that's... We provide um, like a performance solutions and support for specifically the Paralympic athletes. Yep. Um, and that's been something which been restarted after the Games in 2013. Um, so that's still ongoing. So we now split the time between the two. Um, and it's, yeah, so we just, we started Calisthenics as a, as a side project. So we're like, oh, we'll, we'll put a couple of workshops on and we'll, we'll see what happens. And all of a sudden we just started getting some more traction. And it came at a time where I think just generally the fitness industry started getting more interested in calisthenics. It started appearing mm. in men's health and mm-hmm. um, and people started to see more of it and, and, and want to start to learn to do something a bit different. So there's definitely the appetite coincided with when we were sort of playing around with it and starting to, to, to put some the stuff out there. Name, you're like the name of the first workshop you came up with like, this, the, oh yeah, you're like. I think you're like this. You're <laughs> so the original thing, the original concept was the, the it wasn't school. It wasn't school no. calisthenics. Okay, just, was, Tim and Dave. It was, <laughs> it was called strength training for survival in the urban jungle, and I liked this idea. Catchy. Yeah. Rolls off the tongue, but I like this idea. We had, we had two pillars of it: it was, was um, preservation and evasion, and how you were then going to use calisthenics to save your life in a in the urban environment so if you're on holiday with your mates in Magaluf and you fell off a balcony you would need to be able to do a muscle up to get back in so it could just save your own life but it, it, it's kind of like zombie, <laughs> zombie apocalypse yeah, yeah. but it, it's kind of it, it, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek but the 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 reality of like are people strong in the world anymore or are we just strong in a gym like if you can bench press 150 kilos like what does that actually mean? I'm, I'm not a yeah. massive word fan of the word functional, but it's going back to what people mean behind that. It's like you say when you went, oh, people can't run up to the bus stop anymore. You say, yeah. let's go on a run. It's like, oh, no, I don't like doing running yeah. outside. I read a, yeah. I read a book like? called Natural Born Heroes, and the guy talks about, it's all based around um, World War II, but it's based around like just people's natural ability to do a number of different things. They weren't specialists. They were just great all-rounders and they could manage their own body weight and they could run for 5k or like and it's that idea of like if you had to run for your life could you could you swim for your life if you yeah. had to and it's it, you may, and, you hope never and to that's why it. i support crossfit so much yeah. and you know people complain about bad coaching and all that shit every training discipline's got bad coaching mm. the superior the only reason that started to become highlighted is because CrossFit became, uh, you know, there's a spotlight on it. Everyone was interested. But, you know, you talk to a CrossFit athlete and they can go for a run, they can swim, they can lift, they can drag, they can pull, they can Olympic lift. They're fucking badass. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, you talk to someone and I, I'm not going to say powerlifting's bad, but I've talked about powerlifting before and I say, okay, powerlifting's great you know, you're strong at that thing, but I'm like, talk to me about outside the gym. Like, mm. what's happening outside the gym? Like, you know you're so stiff you can't move properly and great you've got 150 kilo bench press but what does that mean like can you apply it and if it makes you happy and you enjoy powerlifting awesome but like my thing is what do you want your body to do like how do you want it to perform do you want to be able to go for do you want to feel fit and strong and look athletic then apply different principles Mm. yeah exactly yeah what you said like we're saying right back at the beginning round you, you get what you train for like what do you actually what, what do you want to be able to do? I want to run up the mountain but then do a flag at the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool <laughs> as fuck. That's, yeah. ro- that's Rocky. That, you know, yeah. If he did a flag at the top, everyone would be like, whoa, they'd be losing their shit. Calisthenics would blow up. Yeah. So perhaps you need to get Sylvester Indeed, Stallone yeah. doing a flag. Yeah, and probably re- could. 
He probably can. It'll, it'll probably break the wall doing it, though. <laughs> yeah. well, we see like, like on social media, there's, there's various people, Jason Statham, The yeah. Rock, uh, Vin Diesel, that, these um, guys, uh, Anthony Joshua. Joshua was doing a flag. Yeah. Oh, sweet. So it's, it's kind of, these guys can do it. Like, And you look at some of those and you go, okay, well, you've got physiques, but yeah. you've, you've also got a little bit of something else. You can move in different ways. And I think even if you go back to sports, like in, the, the, we, in essence, see chaos over the last few years has been a popular thing that's why chaos and how do you manage the chaos of sport and movement well for me that is in part about having movement options if you've got a, a number of different options that you can access whenever you want then you've then you can manage a certain amount of that and I, I, I definitely think that there's some benefit from just being a healthy functioning human being that you're less likely to, to slip a shoulder by if you get slightly caught out of um, position or a stable shape or put yeah. you back out if you're just utilizing a slightly different approach to training rather than just loading 150 200 kilos on a back squat and and i, I agree with you if that's your thing then crack on like mm. each to their own yeah, yeah. i'm not discrediting anything yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just i want people to be a bit more critical about the outcome mm. and again it's a label thing as well like especially over the last couple of years i've seen a lot of females especially like label themselves a powerlifter and i'm like is it is it making you really happy? Like, are you mm. really empowering yourself physically? And the only reason I originally raised the question, did a podcast about it a while ago, is I was meeting a lot of individuals that were unhappy with their body composition mm. and performance. I'm like, well, I'm doing powerlifting. I'm like, well, you've got to think about that. You're going into the gym every day, or, sorry, a couple of times a week, and you're burning like 200 calories. Yeah. Like, you're not doing a lot of work in the gym. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, you're getting stronger. But you know and with strength training like you have to rest quite a while in between sets with strength training so again how if i've only got an hour in the gym three four times a week how do i want to spend that time yeah. is it doing six sets of deadlifts which are going to take me half an hour for me no i'm not yeah. going to do it like, i haven't deadlifted in probably over a year because i don't like the time yeah. Yeah, kind of yeah, exchange yeah. benefit fitness conditioning relationship mm. so i think I, I do a lot more different stuff yeah yeah, yeah. I think my, my um, thought process around training is starting to change a little bit in that some of the stuff we do is like, you know, you've got to do, you know, you've got to do 10 reps, you know, you can't do nine, you can never do nine. <laughs> or, or, do you know what I mean? Or if you're doing strength, yeah. you be five, but if you did six, then you're going to, and then how many, and how many sets you're going to, and then also like, you know, you've got to, you've, if you're doing shoulder press, I'm going to make sure this is here, and, and there's, a, there's a technique around like, why that's important and, and I 100% get why that's important but when you talk about if you were training for rugby and we both know about rugby if I'm if I have strength through my shoulders pressing here pressing here but then someone steps me and I'm a bit off guard and I drive out here to my side and my arm's stretched out yep. I've actually got no strength or stability there 100%. my range is rubbish there because I don't do much flexibility work for whatever reason did it and then bang that's when I actually injure my shoulder and you go and this is massively shoehorning like a human flagging but just to give some context that that actually position of my arm in the human flag is that horrible vulnerable position the position where you yeah. used to dislocate yeah. your shoulder yeah and actually i'm not saying that a flip it, let's teach all rugby players a human flag because it might help them with that type of position but yep. it's, it's a little bit around that right like you said right at the beginning that rationale to go like well there's some good reason to actually be strong in some of these positions that are outside of your standard it's got to be safe you don't want to go in the gym to get injured but it's a case of like you know, exploring some different movement patterns and some ranges that you're not necessarily uh, used to doing, but you could get there in if you know if you're playing a sport. For mm -hmm. instance. Um, oh, I think I mean, it'd be really interesting. I started off just putting some some calisthenics into an athlete's training program, and we get we get prepped and warm up, do a little bit of like, movement preparation and release work and whatever. 
And the first thing I did, I, I wrote it on the training program, athletic development. And I just put in some fun things. I was like, I'm just going to teach you to move in a different way. And it, it wasn't massively sport specific. It was movement specific. or It was, it was sort of just general improving movement literacy. But the thing that I found from it, and the thing we find from people on workshops and those that are engaged in calisthenics, is it was fun. Mm. So when you've got athletes that are like, we, we, I mean, we work them hard. Like it's, it's not an easy job. That training process of our stuff is all around like a progression towards a Paralympic Games. If it's a team sport, at the back end of your career, when you've been in the gym for 10, 12 years, and it's the same program, squat on a Monday, whatever it is, just throwing a bit of hand balancing in there, like you as an SNC coach and a physio, we're going. This is great. We're getting straightest anterior activation. We're getting some proprioception in the shoulder. We're getting all these great things. The athlete goes, "This is cool. I'm having a bit of fun." Mm. I'm going, "Oh, okay. Well, there's a benefit in that because now you're enjoying training." Yeah. Um, and I'm also getting what I want out of it. So yeah. it's the same with Joe Public. Not let's not. I don't want to. I don't want to bash. Um, CrossFit either, but let's just. My friend used to do, or he still does CrossFit. Yeah. Um, and he started doing it because he was quite heavily overweight, and and it was he knew he needed to do some exercise, but he was like, he hates it. Mm-hmm. But he knows it's good for him. And he's lost like three stone doing it. Yeah. He's like, I hate it. And I'm like, and and it's where you don't want to throw someone down. But in my head, I'm going. I walk into gym with a big grin on my face, going, right. What impossible thing might I do today? Yeah. Because there's some of it's like you're chipping away at something's impossible. And then there's some days where you go. That thing I've been working on for, and at the beginning you you get easy wins because you're like new to yeah, it. Yeah. And after a while, when you've been at it a bit longer, like sometimes it takes six months, a year, or so, you know, you've been working on something for like a couple of years or whatever. But there's a day where you then do it for the first time, and yeah. you never actually know when that day might be. It might yeah. be tomorrow for me if I go in the gym. You know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and training when you're not a, like go back to that thing I said about when you're not a professional athlete, training shouldn't be horrible. No, like. Because why, like you said, why are you doing it otherwise? Yeah. Um, and yes, there's certain things you'd like to be in terms of being healthy, and we know the positive benefits of exercise. Um, but there are ways we can train that like leave a smile on our face. Yeah. Um, I think for sure, and I think that's that's massively important. Yeah. Um, I think that's where people got caught up in the strength sports. Is there's a there's a number associated to it, and we see I see it in fat loss all the time I see my clients and I coach people in big groups I see my clients focusing on the weight on the scales mm. and I'm like fuck it just stop it like you're you're letting your progress and your mental well-being being governed yeah. by a number on a thing on the scale which um you know and trying to get people out of that habit is very very difficult and you look at it on the training side of things oh I'm I'm now at 100 kilo squat I'm now at 102, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, but for me, genuinely, I, I, I don't care. I don't care if I have. I don't care if you can lift more of me in the deadlift, and you can. It, it doesn't matter. I want to be strong, happy, healthy, and I feel that if I need progress in some area, then I apply the right tool to improve yeah. that progress. But I'm not governed by numbers. It doesn't make me happy or sad. But there's a lot of people that need that and I find that a little bit sad and that's what I want people yeah. to realise is that you don't, no one's judging or if they are judging you, they're not very nice people. Yeah. Like someone's going, oh, I think less of him because he's got 20 kilo less than me on the deadlift bar. I'm like, what the fuck? Really? Yeah. And I think sometimes I found that one of the frustrations I try to, I've not got a big frame and I don't hold muscle mass particularly easy, it's, it's hard work for me. So I've, I've gone through phases of trying to put a little bit more weight on and done big hypertrophy blocks and go away on holiday for a couple of weeks and it just falls off me. And then maybe pick apart the training process behind what I've done, but the same thing happens with uh, with some of the strength gains. You can work super hard to get up to that level. You might PB on your, on your squat or your bench or whatever it is, 
And then there's a period of time that number will dwindle a little bit because you're not training it, you're not pushing it that hard. I'll go outside now and do a handstand and I've taught myself something which I can just have fun with. It's, it's, a, it's a lasting, for now at least, mm. something, a lasting movement that I can do, mm. change the way that my body can move. And like I say, I'm not reliant on whether that's 150 or 150. I don't think I've ever lifted 150 of anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm using it because there's probably very strong people listening. 150 Maltesers? <laughs> Grams? During a, <laughs> during a, a Netflix binge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I like the idea of just like, you're upgrading your hardware a little bit. Like there's something which is rooted into the system of how I can now move. And we, we have days where I go away and we come back and jail. You know, my back lever, which is the first thing I actually learned to do, feels flipping ropey. But a little bit of a touch up and a little bit of a week or so, okay, back in the locker. You just refresh that pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, strength is a hard, like in its. And we, I, I, I've worked for a long time in, in a job of getting people strong. Like, I get it. And I get the importance of it. I'm not belittling it in any way. It's just for where I'm at, at 37 next week, mm-hmm. my priorities are slightly different. And, and um, I place, place less importance on those things. And I, I think ultimately I'm a much happier person as a result. Well, that's me and it'd be different yeah, for somebody else yeah of course it's like the, the sustainability or the longevity of like <laughs> you say if you're just hammering for your your PB deadlift like what point are you going to stop doing that as opposed to you going the longevity of you say you've learned a handstand and then if you carry on doing that what are you able to use that training methodology to continue to be able to do that as you get older rather than being remember when I had um, some building work done in my house the massive builder goes like oh you know he knew i played rugby and he's oh yeah i used to change bodybuilding it gets me a picture up from back in the day when it was you know and he wasn't that old but he was massively out of shape and it just obviously what he was doing wasn't it got into a point for his the thing that he did his mm. show whatever but it it wasn't sustainable for him long term and that just again comes back to that like what what do you want out of it and some people will go like all i want to do is when i'm 30 i want to have a great rig and i don't care what it's like when I'm old. and then that's cool as well that's it's fine. Like, yeah and it doesn't matter but you just got to raise the question, is what you're doing actually making you happy? You're enjoying it? Is training fun? Is it purpose-driven? I get I get the whole skill acquisition thing. Like I've mentioned the snatch. I'm enjoying the snatch at the moment because it's a skill acquisition. But I know that in three, four months' time where I've hit like a, what I feel is a decent PB and I know that to get like that next 5, 10 kilo on the bar is going to take you know a good three, yeah. four, five, six, seven months again, I know I'll stop snatching. And I'll do it every now and again to yeah. keep that movement pattern fresh and to make sure that I can teach it to other people. But I get that. And I think um, you don't see that in a lot of people's training programs, just going through cycles of playing and learning new skills. It's like sometimes the m- most exciting people might get is they they learn a variation on a row yeah. or something I'm like, <laughs> yeah. sweet. Put the cable low rather than high. Change my world. <laughs> but yeah, again, we're not we're not bitching. We're just making people think, and I think that's a key theme with this podcast: is to make people think, to make people analyze, to explore different opportunities and ways of doing things. Uh, because for me, fitness is about life enhancement. It's not about labeling yourself or doing things a particular way. It's about improving your quality of life. If it is you want a bigger chest, fucking awesome, do that. But if you want to be able to run a mile and look good, and you know your training program needs to reflect that. Um, fellas, you've got loads of information uh, across the internet. Um, by the way, on a side note, you guys actually representing your business, your website and all that stuff looks fantastic. Like the branding behind what you do and the way that it's written and the way that it looks is fantastic. Um, so I really like that. It makes actually going on your website quite enjoyable because it's 
it's an enjoyable process actually reading and looking at the information. So well done on that. Um, where do they go? Where do they find you? Um, so if you go schoolofcalisthenics.com is a website yep. um, we'll put a, I'm sure we can give you a link for we've got a free beginner's guide I, I think I a, might be able to find that link we can put that <laughs> we'll, we'll get you that we'll get, we'll get you that link so that anyone if they want to get started and the beauty with a lot of this stuff is um, is that you can do loads of it at home like yep. using your own body weight and that's you know most of us these days have got pretty busy lives and trying to get to the gym if we can do a couple of sessions at home then then that's perfect so um, yeah that's that's on the website uh, and then we've also got we've got a podcast that we started ourselves, so we'll, oh, give you, yeah. oh. so we'll have to get you on as What's a that? guest one day. It's called the School, 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 school of Calisthenics. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's the number one calisthenics podcast in the world. One on one. It's a tough marketplace. We're trying, we're trying to break through. Hey, niche it, niche it. <laughs> Own it. Screw it. Um, we've got some individual guys. So if people wanted to learn to handstand or muscle up or, or human flag, then we've got specific guys that, that break that whole process down. And they're designed for the absolute. You can go from complete beginner to handstand mastery. How long it takes depends on your training background, how much time you want to put in. But we came and how strong from, you are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how much work you got to do to develop those different things and how knackered your body is when you start. Yeah. <laughs> from what else you've been doing before? Yeah. Professional rugby you play before you start. But we started from the beginning and it's all broken down with scientific strength and conditioning principles to take people from nothing to achieving something impossible. Yeah, most mm. people will come on our workshop. They'll try. If I say a crow stand like in um, yoga or frog stand, most people listening, if they've heard of that, have had a little go at home. And they didn't smash the nose on the ground. So they're mm. already better than I was when I started. Yeah. That's genuinely... You're a professional athlete. <laughs> yes. Obviously yeah. rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think people often don't see that because they see you online doing it perfectly, doing it beautifully. And I want people to know that you started somewhere, you smashed your nose on the floor, you look like an idiot hanging off the leg press. Like We've all <laughs> been there. You know, there was a day where... You know, when I picked up the snatch bar that I couldn't even get that high pull position. Okay, and now I'm I'm fine. So we all learn things, we all fail, and that for me that's the fun, it's the skill acquisition, it's the learning your body. Um fellas, thank you very much for coming on the show and breaking my threesome in person podcast virginity. <laughs> yes. Um if, uh, people listening, if you would like to uh, go and find out more about what uh, these boys are doing, uh, Tim and David, then go to theschoolofcalisthenics.com. Find them on social media as The School of Calisthenics. Look up their podcast as well, The School of Calisthenics, and get some lots of free information. Follow them on social media. They're always doing a lot of cool stuff. They're always showcasing a lot of their students doing their cool stuff because these guys are teaching other people they don't know how to do it and now they're learning how to do it thanks for listening to this week's podcast if you've enjoyed it guys we'd really appreciate a five star review on iTunes and if you want to put a one star one on that's also fine but we'll just delete it (laughs) until next time class dismissed